Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 122. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and let me introduce you to today's guest, Elliot Bayev. Elliot is a returning guest to the podcast, first appearing on episode 31, published on December 23rd, actually my birthday, on to, in 2018. Elliot is a second-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the owner of Open Mat Mixed Martial Arts in Toronto. He also runs Mastermind BJJ, private BJJ training and retreats, for entrepreneurs, Elliot Fuse Jiu-Jitsu teaches a lot about life and has written about the lessons he teaches to entrepreneurs. His latest project is BJJ 101 TV, a site dedicated to helping beginners figure out Jiu-Jitsu. And since last appeared on the podcast, he has written a book with Daniel Mos. Help me again, Mos- Moskowitz. Mos- Moskowitz. All right. Sales Jiu-Jitsu, The Secret Black Belt System for Champion Leaders, a book designed in, at aiding the already high-performing person or company to reach an elite level. Elliot, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, brother. Good to see you. Yeah, so I was mentioning to you, I'm probably past a little bit of half of the book right here. So for everyone's watching on YouTube, showing the book here for people listening on, on Spotify or any other platform, make sure that you, you take a look. Well, I will add the link for the book too. So let's talk a little bit about, let's go straight to the book. Some mm-hmm. of the concepts also, Elliot, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sharing for all the listeners going to be sharing the screen too. So that'll be good for people who are actually watching, listen on YouTube, maybe as I mentioned on People just listen to audio, maybe can have a chance to look into it. So let me know whenever you want to share, if you want to, well, let's go a little bit before when the ideas start cooking about this book. Sure. So in my mastermind BJJ classes, uh, the ones for entrepreneurs, my now co-author came out to a session. And while I was teaching every once in a while, as I'd kind of share a little bit of like jujitsu philosophy or talk about uh, technique in a certain way, you'd see his eyes light up. And after the training, we'd all go for brunch and do a little masterminding business stuff. And I asked him, like, what was it that stuck out? And as we got to talking, it just, there were so many overlaps between the ways I taught jujitsu and the ways he taught sales. And as we kept talking, someone just suggested, hey, you guys should write a book. And now two years later, here we are. So... That is awesome, man. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was listening to, to the, I was reading the story when you went in college and you wrestling and you hurt your neck, mm. uh, which was pretty brutal. Maybe you can share this a little bit with people too. It's in a book, but it can just give you maybe a, uh, I just, I was just imagine the way you're describing of your neck, one side of just being rolled the other way. I, I was really like, Ugh. And yeah. just really just just imagine how how bad that looked. Can you just picture the scenario real quick? Yeah, it was my first day at U of T wrestling, and um, <clears throat> we were doing gut wrenches. For those not familiar, bottom person is face down, not trying not to get rolled onto their back. Top person grabs them by the waist and tries to roll them all the way over for points. And I didn't know what to do. It was my first day of wrestling. I was just wrestling to improve my jujitsu. Coach wasn't paying attention. And coming from jiu-jitsu where you're keeping everything tight, I had my kind of chin on the mat like this, um, thinking he was going to roll me to my left. He rolled me to my right, my chin caught, and he rolled twice hard and my, my head caught both times, head spun almost 180, or got turned around almost 180, and uh, my thumbs went numb, had terrible pain right away, and I tried to keep going, but it was, it was pretty bad. So uh, that ended up eventually leading to two three-week periods where I couldn't stand if I wanted to get out of bed I had to put my fingers on my collarbone just to hold my head up and 
it was, uh, it was rough and it was, you know, your, your specialty is the mental game and it was a real big challenge. <clears throat> it was right when I had kind of left the corporate world to commit to, you know, doing jujitsu full time so that I could work on what I'm working on now. And, uh, your whole identity, <clears throat> excuse me, your whole identity is wrapped up in being an athlete and being strong and being a competitor. And then all of a sudden you can't even stand it. Uh, it really was a, a tough period. And I say now is three weeks, but at the time you're like one hour in, is this going to go away? Two hours, yeah, yeah, three yeah, hours, yeah. five hours, like the next day. And it really, uh, really challenges you. And, and so one of the things we talk about in the book and, uh, I'll share the framework in a minute, but the first thing is your inner game and we're all going to have ups and downs, but the most important thing is understanding your why. And I, for me, you know, I had a larger project which we can talk about later that I wanted to focus on, but I saw jujitsu as a vehicle to kind of get me there. And so I just committed my life to kind of going down this path and now I couldn't even stand on my own. And, uh, what allowed me to kind of get through that was having a strong why that allowed me to kind of find, you know, I went on the search of finding different healing modalities, ways to heal my neck, ways to eventually get back into, you know, light training, lifting again, eventually training, and then um, back into high level competition. Man, it's brutal. Uh, before getting into the book, just curiosity, how is your area, how is Toronto with COVID and everything? We are recording this in May. 2021 so how's it looking uh it's a little rough uh yeah. has not been doing amazing generally uh we're in lockdown uh they keep extending lockdown so really stay yeah um restaurants are closed i mean a lot of businesses are closing <clears throat> we've been lucky that uh you know we've had some support from students but the government's uh helping cover the rent uh part of it anyway so but it's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been slow and, you know, and uh, not as bad as some areas like, we're, you know, hearts go out to India, of course, but like um, for North America, you know, I hear what's going on in the States where things are improving every day. So yeah. compared to there, we're, you know, we're, we're quite a bit behind. Yeah. And depending on some of the States to here, um, for people who don't know, I'm in Arizona. It's, it's moving a lot better now. I know that some states are still rough uh, recovering. Uh, California, uh, New York, I know there's some specific spots are pretty rough. But yesterday there was a tournament in town, um, yesterday this, over the weekend. And man, it was busy. And I don't think I can, I could count. Maybe the only people I saw with the mask was like the refs and basically barely wearing, just kind of bring down here. Like most people, not worrying, getting back to normal. And at this point, I like the flexibility of, do you want to wear it? Go ahead, wear it. You don't want to wear it? Don't worry, you know, just each one, just do whatever. At this point that we at here, you know, uh, I'm not consistently watching the news because I'll tell you what, the beginning of the news, they really messed me up, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just watching and then uh, as soon as it happened, we start thinking about school liability. What if someone dies? You know, what are, are they going to sue us? You know what I mean? So, I, at one point, I just stopped the news because it was just man, it, it was not helping me. In general, that can be you know a good idea. News, uh, you know, they say it's news, but it's in so so often it's bad news, right? There's yeah. a lot going on in the world, and then you know, 50 years ago, news stations were independent. Now they're corporately owned, and so. You know, we a lot of us have questions about um, the the influences that news channels have, and then uh, now in a situation like this where people want to be extra cautious, it's easy to lead to a little bit extra fear being being spread, right? For sure. All right, so let's do this. Let's work on you sharing your screen hmm. so you can show the layout of the book. Sure. So the book is based on this four-step formula I came up with for really this, I've been, you know, feedback from, from some of the folks in the Mastermind Jiu-Jitsu program was that this applies to any area of life. This is kind of a process I have been doing unintentionally with my students, but 
writing the book forced me to put it together. So the book is based on a four phase process for preparing for entering, winning, and learning from a competition. So, and then we apply that to a sales engagement. So the book is for kind of corporate sales folks, entrepreneurs, anyone who has sales in their, in their business. Um, but again, this can apply really anywhere. So we break down each section. So pre-fight is broken down into inner game, uh, intelligence and strategy, the fight section, when we actually go and engage, you know, a match itself starts with how do you connect? How do you spot and take advantage of openings? And then how do you position yourself to eventually set up your win? Once you're ready to win, we get into how do you start attacking the submission, prep for counters, and then actually follow through the finish. And then post-fight, we want to learn from every fight, every match, every, in the sales context, every sales engagement, win or lose. A lot of us, you know, in jiu-jitsu, a lot of us will learn from our losses. You know, I think that's actually pretty mature and it doesn't happen all the time. But if, you know, if you ever do lose, it's good to go study the tape and see what you could have done differently. Even learn what did the opponent do well? And a lot of folks do that, but are you also doing the same thing from your wins? Sometimes when you have an easy win, it's easy to think, oh, there's nothing to learn there. But there, you know, if you do this, and this is where having a system is really important, if you learn as a system and you do a post-mortem after every, after every match, you're going to find things that you can learn from every engagement. And so we, as, as you've seen in the book, I'll write a section on, you know, inner game, the subsection of goals or mindset and emotions from a jitsu perspective, tell a story about kind of my competition history or my students' successes uh, or challenges. And then my co-author Daniel will write the same section from a sales perspective and give strategies for, uh, for making the same principle apply well in a sales environment. Now, what did you say it's one of the areas that people tend to underestimate and the, and the four, what do you say? Ooh, there's, there's kind of, there's so much in each of them. So yeah. for, for example, and then, then there are things that in a jiu-jitsu people will kind of take for granted because there are things that are in jiu-jitsu that are, you know, best practices that <clears throat> we just do automatically. But for example, uh, in, under strategy, you know, we develop a game plan. We have a, an optimal outcome we want to achieve, but then we have to train it. You know, and what is it that separates uh, jiu-jitsu from, say, Japanese jiu-jitsu or, or many other arts? Sometimes they have the exact same techniques, but it's that we train alive. We train with resistance. So once uh, my, my partner had kind of understood that, he immediately took it to his business. Uh, he works for a company called Advance Your Reach, which teaches people how to kind of sell from the stage, so to speak, get onto a stage and then promote their products, et cetera. And he has a big sales team and he was having them do role-playing, but when he was having them do role-playing, it was very mechanical. They were Got basically it. doing, they weren't doing a live training. And when he learned the idea of the live training, he had them now start actually challenging each other and putting each other on the spot. And why do we, why does jiu-jitsu make you tougher? Because it preps you for real intensity. If you only ever train mechanically, and you never fight against someone who's actually trying to stop you, what happens in a self-defense situation or a competition? You won't be ready for that intensity. And so you can take that principle to any area of really of life. And, and so we, we take this kind of process of uh, looking at each of these sections in the jiu-jitsu context and then apply it in this case in sales. But again, you can apply it really anywhere. And what about... Uh maybe a game changer thing that a lot of people that read and start using the system say like, man, this specific part here really helped me. What mm -hmm. did you say? Uh, well, you know, what is the secret to jiu-jitsu? The one principle, all of it's based on positioning. From a good position, things are easy. From a bad position, things are hard. And so <clears throat> there's a very natural, like, so we have, in addition to the book, we have a, a video course 
and we have a private training program that we, we take people through. And so we have a lot of entrepreneurs in that. And a common mistake you'll see is when someone say is engaged with a client, they've done the kind of initial steps and they've gotten to a quote unquote good position. They try to jump to the close. They try to jump to the final step. And it's like a white belt. You, I mean, this is the most common thing we see white belt in a tournament. They pass the guard, they get side control and immediately they try to jump to mount without actually securing the position. But understanding that positioning is based on this idea of like, first and foremost, once you get to a good position, your job is not to get to the next best position, it's to keep it. Don't get pushed back at all. Make sure you really have it. And then, then you can think about improving, but it's not big jumps. If a big opportunity comes up, you seize it, but it's little increments, small steps to improve your position slightly. So I might you know, we might spend a, a minute or two inside control making little adjustments before thinking about going to mount. And then in mount, simply getting a crossface, getting an underhook, like these, these little improvements make a big difference and allow you to start thinking about, again, don't jump for this mission, set it up. You know, one of the, this is very kind of common uh, for jiu-jitsu people to think about, but in, a, in other contexts, not as obvious, positioning is what makes losing impossible and winning inevitable. And so when we get to, you know, a great position in the mount, we've, we've killed the guy's arms and they're totally out of position. Again, it's easy to jump to that final uh, jump into the submission, but our job is to, you know, there's an expression in the, in Eastern philosophy, most people are not as successful not successful in their endeavors because they're not as careful in the end as they are in the beginning. So when we get to a submission, we get to an arm bar. We don't just try to finish it right away. We want to secure it. So once we get into uh, submit, we attack the submission, say an arm bar, but instead of trying to finish right away, like, are you pinching your knees? Are you rotating their thumbs so they can't start escaping? We want to treat the end just as carefully as we do the whole rest of the game. And, you know, and so we, we go pretty deep. Um, and one of the things that I, even in jiu-jitsu where, where, you know, the mature fighter is going to learn from their losses. We talked about this idea of learning from our wins. So I have a, I have a purple belt who's actually fighting soon, uh, Mir Bounty, who was fighting a local black belt. And we knew that if the black belt was going to have a chance, it was going to be on the ground. And the strategy was to never let the fight go to the ground. Amir ended up winning in two or three minutes. It'd be very easy to look at that and say, oh, there's, there's nothing to learn. This is one-sided. But because we do this as a process, we're able to see that there was one moment where even though he was keeping really good distance, the black belt shot from a long distance and got in on his hips. He stuffed the takedown, got on top, ground and pound, and won within you know, 30 seconds after that. But why did the guy get in on his hips? Had we not done this analysis, we would not have seen that he was keeping good distance, but he was also staying right in front of him. He wasn't circling. So using a post-mortem after every engagement, after every, in a jiu-jitsu context, match um, is really useful. And so one thing we say when we're talking about the book or the video course is like, you can take any one of these elements and it'll make a difference. But if you take them as a system, the idea is that what you learn from post-fight after an engagement then becomes information in your pre-fight intelligence for the next match. And so it's a system that's constantly recursive, which is why it helps us improve on the mats, but also in business allows, a, allows for you know, that constant never-ending improvement. Awesome. Um, on page 78, we talk about the connection formula. Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty cool too. And just reminded some of the things that I've learned in, in public speaking that mm. is kind of building that report uh, before that you possibly do on a phone or you get like, hey, uh, what do you know about this person or whatever? So you have something to connect. And that's something that I, as I mentioned, I learned with my mentor that would go have a presentation. He would do his best to always arrive earlier, go to the meeting, greet, just kind of talk with people 
you know, in general. And very often, and, and I got used to do that too, that it's always good, like in the middle of the presentation, you can bring something back. Like I was talking with so and such and such about this earlier, which is a great technique that feel that, that there's the report, there is the connection, and it's a great uh, tool. Even if it's as simple as it is, and, but just a simple mention already helps in and now building, uh, building this this report and connection. Like, let's say we have a lot of jujitsu owners who are listening, and then when you sit to talk with a person before, kind of like a mini interview, like, all right, why do you want to train? And they start talking and try to catch something. Like, did you practice sports growing up? Like anything that you can find some connection. Oh yeah, I did. You know, and it's kind of like right away the the conversation starts to like. The guards are coming down a little bit. There's not that much of that resistance. Like this guy's trying to sell me, you know. So uh, if you can expand to everyone about that, because people have that that fear of like this guy's gonna sell me something right away, you know. So talk uh, talk more about the connection. So uh, you know, Hickson talks a lot about connection on the mats. The idea is to connect with the the opponent and. Uh, really connect on your terms is a, one of the whole sections. But in the sales context, my my part, my co-author Daniel talks about uh, the connection formula being 5M plus 5R equals C. Five minutes. So this is more in a kind of corporate context, but the same yeah. principle applies in a jiu-jitsu school. Five minutes of research, five, the R is research. Uh, on you know five different platforms, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, uh, will help you find nuggets of information to better understand the person. And why is that important? Uh, a book that I'm sure you're familiar with and many of your audience, uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. it, the first three habits are about how you deal with yourself. The next three are how you deal with other people. And one of the key ones is, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. If you try to talk to someone and get your message across, but don't listen to them, they're not going to be ready to hear what you have to say. But if they feel really heard, then they're going to be very open. And so his, his kind of hack for that is you need to be able to express in terms better than they could why they're there and what they want. And so what you're talking about connecting with, say, the prospective student is so important because they, yes, they're there to, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's self-defense or competition or fitness or whatever. Well, even if you, if you don't know that, if you haven't done the job to listen to them and even understand what goals they have, maybe they had, maybe they got in a street fight or something. And they're, if, if you haven't done that work and you're trying to sell them on the competition aspect, you are selling and selling in the bad sense. You're not listening, you're not understanding where they're coming from. But if you listen to why they actually came in and you can articulate it, because again, often people coming into a jiu-jitsu academy or a martial arts school of any time, they don't even know why they're coming in. Something's calling them and you can help them figure that out and articulate. And then the better you understand why they're coming in, the more you can apply the strengths of your school to that and and really make it synergistic versus you know just a one-way conversation and the more and ultimately so much of why people come is community and if they come and their first experience is oh this person doesn't listen to me they're just here to talk down to me they're they're not going to be feeling like they're uh, likely to become a, a valued member of that community yeah and I, I think a little by, uh, little, I think there's a transition, you know, like in the beginning in jujitsu used to be so like, man, now you don't sell, you know, every, you know, it's like the hobby thing, you know what I mean? You come in and, and it has evolved into a business. I mean, I come from, from a time to, and especially in the nineties that you, you didn't have that, like a sales process in jujitsu, you know what I mean? Like, so what do you do? That's it. But now there is something more elaborate. I'm not saying everyone does, but there's something more um, elaborated. And did you feel this kind of like transition uh, going into like becoming a little more business oriented with a jujitsu? When did you start noticing that? Oh man, it was it was transformative for me. 
you know, and I wish I had started earlier. It wasn't until, so I started my first school in maybe 2004, it wasn't until 2008 or 2009 that I started studying the business side of things and finding mentors and coaches. And that was very, that was so important because, and I think a lot of what gets people to start a school is that they just love jujitsu and they've seen it change lives and they want to share that with others. And that's a beautiful thing. The problem is there's a, there's a really, for, for business owners of any kind, there's an important book called The E-Myth Revisited. Great book. It's a, yeah. And talks about, you know, the baker who loves baking after a few years is miserable because she or he is stuck having to stay late and clean and having to, you know, do the accounting and having to do all these things. And so they, they talk about the need to create systems so that eventually you don't need to be the person doing that, but you can trust that whoever is doing it, whoever you've hired is competent and can actually be um, evaluated and measured so that you can do the things you love most like teaching, or you might have something outside of running a school that you want to do as well. And if you never put systems in place, it's going to feel like you're always playing catch up and, and you'll always have to be there. And if you want, you know, and it's beautiful to want to teach jujitsu. I love jujitsu. I love teaching it. I love learning, but there are other things I want to do in life. And if I never got kind of the systems in place, I would, I would feel kind of, it's easy to feel trapped in your school, right? Yeah. Right now, especially because of everything is going on with COVID, um, said that the mastermind now it's paused but when when the idea came to start doing the mastermind at bjj was around that time or maybe just going back and thinking like man that would be i wish i had something like that when when i needed maybe like like i said in the mid 2000s or so well mastermind bjj was not necessarily for school owners this was for entrepreneurs because again like sales jitsu is a perfect example of it there's so many, and, and everyone who trains knows this, there's so many amazing life lessons, strategy lessons that we learn on the mats. And entrepreneurs need best practice strategy. We need, you know, business owners of any kind uh, need <clears throat> access to this wisdom that, that we as jiu-jitsu people happen to be lucky to have access to. But it's also the training, the stress relief, like all the benefits of jiu-jitsu are good for entrepreneurs. Not, not to mention the, the social aspect, meeting other entrepreneurs on the mats and really breaking, nothing breaks the ice like jujitsu, right? And so having that chance to connect, having that chance to have fun on the mats, having that chance to learn strategy from the mats, and then also be able to kind of have a masterminding networking session uh, or a, in some cases, a weekend retreat where you really get to deep dive and build friendships is super valuable. Because, you know, an entrepreneur might have a spouse that loves them to death, but that doesn't mean they understand what it's like to own a business. And so we need folks who have, you know, whether it's a school or a, a products company or a service company, entrepreneurs need to connect with other entrepreneurs just to talk shop. And so that was part of the idea behind this, to give them access to the strategy and access to each other. And back to, we talk about the, the connection and what jiu-jitsu brings so forth. Uh, one of the things that it's very common, I'm always talking with a brand new people that come in. And for the most part, every, not everyone, but most start the conversation like, yeah, I'm gonna get better shape, I mean, uh, learn how to fit myself. But it's always so much deeper than that. As you start digging, it's always so much deeper, you know, and, and I, tell them as they start uh, start the conversation start getting a little deeper they start noticing more because i said like hey everyone comes here talking about the same thing they don't realize how much mental and emotional growth that you will have training only when you start to really living be like okay now understand what are you talking about and the mental aspect i always talk about manage it's about problem solving man you're gonna problem solve every day but with that comes the emotional growth too because you're not going to be able to solve the problems anytime you want the, the the way that you want you know and that's going to build your emotional resilience and that 
that's why jiu-jitsu is so good because it transcends your everything in life with that like you're not gonna get the stuff that you want exactly the time that you want i want this sweepy i understand but it's just not there and you're not gonna do it you know so i feel that this this part of the connection too when i feel that when i when i'm able to get into that conversation you know that's when the guards start to really come down we talk about mental so nowadays a lot of people uh, with a lot of anxiety you know with the world you know the way it is so more talking about like the days that i was talking with one of my students um a couple of days ago that the day that you for whatever reason you're feeling anxious you don't want to go but when you've done you're like man i'm so glad i came you know what i mean there's the days that you don't want to train most of the time mentally they're the ones that are being the best when you feel you're tired but like man i'm I'm so glad I just had one of those days last week. It just woke up kind of anxious and I'm like, yeah, like what? And I just start the negative talk. Of course, you know, the inner game start getting, you know, going like, are you going or not going? And then it just catch myself like, man, I know that after I'm going to feel so much better. And you talk a lot about that in the beginning of the book too, with uh, the inner game. And that's something that I always mention to, to everyone to, with, to students, competitors, in order to be ready for your external battles, you have to win the internal battles. If you cannot win the internal battles, it's gonna to be tough to perform well in external battles, which is sales, uh, life in general, right? We all have our best selves where we're, we're in the zone, we're performing kind of on all cylinders. And then we have kind of that lower version of ourselves where things aren't clicking, we're, we're not really present. And the difference between those two can be, you know, everything. You can, you can be just as physically fit. You can have all the same skills and not perform. And that matters. That matters, obviously, on the mats. It matters in business. It matters in relationships. You know, how do you show up? And then what is your system? What is your process for when your head's not there because that's going to happen too. And if you, you know, in the art of war, they talk about how most people know only two ways to respond to conflict, fight or flight. But there's the third, planning ahead. And that's what jujitsu is. Instead of coming into a self-defense situation and trying to figure it out, no, no, no. We plan for that or a competition. We plan for that well in advance and we train it so are you doing the same thing for those days when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Maybe you have a competition that day you didn't sleep. Okay, what's in the recipe book in your plan for when you have a competition, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? What are you doing to get yourself back into a good state? And then if you can, if you can make that happen, you know, when I was still in the corporate world, people would comment that, you know, I seemed so calm. And I told them, you know, when you've had people who are trained to break arms and put you to sleep, try to break your arms and put you to sleep, like all of a sudden your boss getting angry doesn't quite hit you the same. And this is the thing. Jiu-Jitsu increases your threshold, your comfort, your zone of comfort and capability and confidence. And if you can apply these things on the mats, then it becomes so much easier to apply to everywhere else. Right on. Let's talk about the global unity. Can you let everyone know about it? Yeah. Uh, so I've been working on this for 15 years. Um, you know, I, before I started my first school, you know, I kind of woke up to um, injustice in the world, read a few books and uh, then saw some, some documentaries that showed me we're facing some systems problems. And so I'm thinking about how do we change these systems for a long time? And actually applying, uh, I don't know if we talked about it last time, but applying mental jiu-jitsu to it. And mental jiu-jitsu is a heuristic I've come up with for how do we uh, deal with problems? On the mats, it's easy to think someone say, you know, someone keeps taking you down, taking you down, taking you down. It can feel like you have a problem, but we don't have a problem. Jiu-jitsu is asking us a question. How do you stop that takedown? We know every takedown has an answer. Every move can, you know, has an escape. Mental jiu-jitsu is the art of turning problems into questions. And so I've kind of used this and other 
theories and philosophies and strategies to, to think about, like, how do we actually make things better? Um, and on a systems level, and, and so, you know, while running the school and competing and coaching, it was something I was kind of doing behind the scenes, but COVID has, you know, putting the school on pause and not being able to teach. Um, it's, it's given me the time to really dedicate and, and the world obviously needs it. And so the easiest way to explain it is if humanity were really working as one cohesive organism, where's the platform that facilitates that? It doesn't exist. So we have to build it. And so the problem with that is even if you had all the best tools and technology and platforms in place, it won't be enough. If we're really going to build a better world, we're going to need to create a global movement. And if we're going to create a global movement, tools and platforms won't do it. So there's really a two branch strategy. There's this ecosystem of platforms designed to facilitate larger coordination and collaboration between people. But there's also a, a narrative arc or mimetic <clears throat> memes are the idea of idea viruses. So a way to kind of change, not change minds, but offer a new way of looking at things. And so um, it's a it's a big plan, but there's a there was a guy on uh, t- the Tim Ferriss show recently, <clears throat> Balaji Srivanasan, I think is how you pronounce his name. And he very, very bright guy. Anyone interested in that like tech? I think he's a, he's in the crypto space, co-founder of Coinbase. But he uh, he wrote an article on how to start a new country. And he talks about in history, the you know, the only ways you start a country are through war or through economics. And he goes through this list. But now with the birth of the internet, we have the capacity to start a country, a nation that isn't bound by geography. And could we, if we use these new tools, could we start kind of a new country of everyone for everyone? And so this is kind of the, it's a much larger kind of conversation, but um, this is some of the thinking behind it and uh, taps into a lot of some of the best thinkers who are out there today um, working on these kinds of things. And uh, right now, I've been kind of working on it privately, um, but I'm just now starting to speak a little more publicly about it. Right on. And man, you always involved in all kinds of projects. Were you, uh, did you promote tournaments too? No. Yeah. So, and this was, this was kind of the, the impetus behind the, the theme behind the tournament and the training camps we run. So Fights Unite uh, was yes, a tournament correct. Yes. Uh, ran a few years back. And, uh, and then we've, we've also run training camps. We had, um, you know, Oliver Taza and Ethan Crellenston and a bunch of like top flight Cameron Florzak and a uh, number of other like top Canadian uh, instructors, black belts uh, coming for a tra- one week training camp. We also, when COVID first happened, there was like a shortage of masks. We had, um, Stefan Kesting and Emily Kwok and, and 10, you know, <clears throat> another 10 of Canada's top and even uh, John Thomas, who's not in Canada, uh, do a, a fundraising webinar under the Fight to Unite banner. And the whole idea is that, and this is one of my philosophies broadly, and I think a lot of us feel this, you know, look at what's happening in the Middle East right now, real, you know, awful. And, and but on the mats, we can have people from all walks of life be the best of friends independent of their lineage, independent of their nationality. And so jujitsu, I feel, can really be a a force for sending a message to the rest of the world of unity and and coming together. And so that was the idea and message behind Fight Unite, that jujitsu can be a force for good. And it is in many ways, you know, there's submit the stigma and there's there's many other like uh, impact organizations using jiu-jitsu to, to spread a positive message. Role Forever is doing some very cool things. But the idea is, can we get more explicit and actually bring the jiu-jitsu community together to not only share a message of like, you know, we're all one, um, Genki Sudo's big message. Yeah. But can we also then be an example to other communities to speak up for coming together? And, you know, it's... Some might find it ironic that, you know, 
one of the world's most effective martial arts is really, I think, you know, teaches us peace. It teaches us, you know, it's the jitsu person who's less likely to get into a fight than the person who doesn't train because they know they don't, they don't have that uh, need. They, they get that need out of them. They know they've, they've come to appreciate and respect people from all walks of life because they're some of their best friends as a result of training. And so there's so many beautiful messages that jujitsu teaches uh, that I think, you know, we can spread to the rest of the world. Absolutely. And talking about organizations, let me just plug in uh, Jiu-Jitsu Tribe for people who don't know. I always like to repeat. Some people may be watching for the first time, but I co-founded a nonprofit organization about 10 years ago, and we rebranded to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe a couple of years ago. And basically right now, we just help social projects that offer jiu-jitsu classes for free. A lot of them from Brazil, because we have so many programs in Brazil, which is pretty awesome. In US, as far as I know, I've been involved with two, I don't know, many other programs, but it's uh, if anyone wants to check it out, jujitsutribe.org, mainly what we do right now, we just help fix up a place. You know, just go in, uh, someone that is running a program is doing an incredible job in the, the place, it's falling apart, the mats are, you know, falling apart, everything. So we, we do some type of fundraising and then we um, make, uh, make connections and stuff like with other sponsors. So it's been awesome. We just recently finished right now, uh, the beginning of May, working on the, a new group. Uh, have you watched City of God, the movie? I haven't. I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, it's uh man, it's one of my favorite movies. I think my probably my favorite Brazilian movie. If you guys uh, never never watch it, highly recommend. I think it's on Netflix. Maybe it was I don't know when it was from. Maybe o two o three or something like that. It's been it was nominated. It didn't win, but it was nominated for like uh, some Academy Awards and stuff like that. So I was helping personally. Uh, this group from uh, City of God does an incredible job, but then now we brought in, we got him to their, brought him under the organization. So that was cool that we got like to uh, uh, fix their mats and paint the place. And even the sidewalk in front of the place was like all broken. So we fixed that and fixed the bathroom. And that dude, he does such an incredible job. It just gave me chills just to think about like how much this guy change lives one there's one girl that is just one of the hottest prospects right now in jiu-jitsu gabriella pesanya she's been winning she's been a fairly recent black belt maybe two years it's just because with covid she didn't compete as much but she's been winning a lot of stuff and then she's from there 100 there big schools try to recruit her you know because she was already getting like um big results and she's like born and raised from there and the amount of lives this guy's changed and all so many social projects that uh, there are and I had the opportunity, this one, uh, since we just started working with them, I haven't had the opportunity to go there personally, but usually when I go to Brazil, I go and visit some of the projects that will support. And it does something to you, man. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. I have, I have shared here at some point in a podcast, one of the trips that I had in Brazil, there's a program that will support in uh, uh, Bahia in Brazil. And man, they, right now it's probably been now close to six, seven years, but they literally train on the street. You know, there's a sidewalk, there's a space where the bus usually come in. They place mats there because they didn't have any place to train. And Man, that's what they train. I, I I have a picture that is wild, like me training, and then there is a bus like not too far back from me. Seriously, like the chance of some like like something really bad can happen if anyone loses control of a car or whatever. You know, things can go bad real quick. So we started campaign to to get a, a place for them to get them off the street and then COVID hit and then like they still struggling there Brazil is in the best spot so everything's kind of paused with that one on that sense I've been there uh, in two different trips I went there twice but it's just crazy how you see like the kids happy everyone's smiling 
uh, those no one's like oh i he sent me a video of them like training like raining you know what i mean like just little things like that that you people are so happy with just so little you know and and being able to uh hopefully you know we can set up a place for them and this is just one example but there's so many people helping all the projects but i don't think people realize how important man those projects are for their communities because it's so easy the the getting contact with the, the get hooked up with the cartel and then just for not carrying anything and just watching if the police is coming they don't have to carry anything any guns any drugs or anything they'll make more than mom and dad together so that's pretty you know that's pretty tempting see all your friends rocking on nice shoes and whatever and then you're like I just need to watch. I don't have. And that's how it starts, of course. And then they kind of build um, a career from that. But anyway, anyone that wants to know more about Jiu-Jitsu Tribe and some of the stories of some of the places that we have helped, make sure to take a look at our Instagram, the same name, or you can go online to jujitsutribe.org. And I would love in the future to do any type of collaboration. We are always open for any type of like social work that you guys do. Oh, it's beautiful you're doing that. You know, it's, uh, I think we all want things to be better and many of us feel there's nothing we can do, but jiu-jitsu folks are in a unique position because, you know, we have this thing that benefits people's lives. And so for you, you know, you've, you've been successful and you've now taken that success and, and tried to get, use it to give back. And I think that's, that's a beautiful example of more of what we need, you know, and so if there's a way I can support I'm more than happy and and uh yeah like someone and it's funny you say like someone who has nothing we think that the only thing that's going to make their lives better is is you know food and what and of course that those things are vital but look how happy a kid who you know can't afford shoes can be just being on the mats and being and one of the beautiful things of jiu-jitsu is that we're all equal and <clears throat> doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter uh, who you are on the mats, it's the work you put in. And it's the the vibe that you bring. And <clears throat> everyone's a welcome part of a, a now a global community. You know? Yeah, I was uh, the first time I went there, I remember I went back to the my nice hotel, you know, and I and I was just like, it was very emotional to me to like some of the kids that I met and stuff and just just observing them. And then I was sitting with the instructor and he was just telling me stories about that kid, that kid, that kid, and just telling me, you know, different ones. And they show one, uh, cause they're there in this um, neighborhood, they're riding between two different cartels, you know? So they're kind of tolerated by both, you know, because they're kind of in the middle, but they're kids that he was able to remove from the cartel to start training. And he, I never forget, because there was a kid, like he was a 12-year-old, a yellow belt, you know. And before his turn 12, he was heavily involved with the cartel. And they tried, they came in one day, like literally to like whack this kid, to kill him. And he like basically just begged for, for his life. And this kid's been training, you know, to this day, never got involved again. He's just started, like, start carrying the drugs and let it next thing. He's using the drugs. Now they want, where's the money? And they, and they kill them just to make the, an example, you know? And, and he mentioned one of the, around that time, one of the kids said like, man, was riding from, cause he lives very close. He was like, man, right across the street from my house, you guys came in a motorcycle, saw the kids stop, just popping, pop, pop, pop and then moved on. And now last month, he just, um, I saw a post, I got in contact with him, another one, another student um, just got killed. Um, same thing, just got involved with this. So it's scary, man. It's just scary and how ruthless, because in Brazil, like anytime you say the term, like the, you say drug dealer, because here you can say drug dealer, oh, this guy, it's like, no, he's, he seems like a middle-class guy and then he just sells you no in brazil we say drug dealing we're talking about like like basically murder like cold blooded like murders you know what i mean so it's like just bad news so it's just happening and this is just one story that i'm telling this happens uh, 
everywhere in Brazil, which is awful, you know, it's really awful. So just having jiu-jitsu to be able to get those kids out, just so many big names in jiu-jitsu that came from those projects, from projects like that, that they had nothing going on and jiu-jitsu was the, the, the only way out, you know, and be able to travel and see outside and be like, man, I interviewed Zaki Baez, um, maybe a month ago or so, and he has a beautiful story too and of like man that's it if it's you know family dad is you know in jail and a cousin and uh dad you know what i mean like it's just it's just so many like bad news and you'd be able to because of sport in this case you just you know to be able to get you out and and then change your life is just it's just incredible and and one of the things that we just start doing i never really made public it's just a um is with Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. We're trying to make some connections with, with some schools. I started doing a pilot with my school of like working with some organizations, kids with behavior um, issues and so forth. And we did like a 12-week program with five kids, you know, they with, with that in for free. And then given the gi provided, just really chose who the kids are. And, and that was awesome, you know, the transformation to see. And then unfortunately for some of those kids, they live too far. So now we need, that was part of the, our learning process, like convenience to bring them in. One, the transformation was so big that the mom keeps driving. She's like, every time she talks about jujitsu, how impact her, the mom starts crying because it was like, I remember from the first day that she was like glued on the wall and just freaking out and super anxious to now she's talking about competing, you know what I mean? It's just crazy, it's just crazy, uh, uh, like the transformation I saw with the kids. So this is something that hopefully we can do more in the future. We're talking about a possibility of doing something in Australia too with a with a school and then start getting like each school maybe sponsor like maybe five kids from an organization. And after the three months to reevaluate, are you going to renew? Can they continue? Do they like? You know, did it make an impact? You know, so if I think every school just pick just a little bit, just a, just just a few, man, uh, I think it can make a, a huge impact in the long run. Boy, you know, I mean, look at Abu Dhabi. It's in the institutions, right? Could we get yeah. that here? That's a proof of concept, right? And it's, you know, change a country, you change a one kid, you change a, the world, you you change. You know, I think they have. 80,000 kids or something doing jiu-jitsu it's it's yeah it's insane why why can that not be replicated in north america i know there are like pockets but again it's because everyone's kind of working separately and that's that was the idea behind fights unite like can we work together you know build like say a curriculum or even just a process for reaching out to schools and getting into schools but that's uh a bigger bigger topic i got you so we're getting close to the end of the interview so talk a little bit of everything talking about the book i'll make sure that i put the link to you so what else you want to share what are you excited about i know that a situation in canada is kind of tricky right now but we'll talk about the global unity and what about um your site too you have a technique site as well yeah, bjj101.tv. So I've got, it's for beginners. Um, there's two two main programs. Uh, the BJJ Primer, which is kind of an intro to BJJ course. There's so much, you know, that we just take for, even a blue belt would take for granted. Even a six month white belt would take for granted of, you know, how jujitsu works and what's the theory. And uh, so often one of the reasons school owners have a hard time bringing new folks in is because they're intimidated. And so this was a course I created, not just for my students, but really for, for anyone new to jiu-jitsu to kind of get what it's all about. And then the main program is my blue belt curriculum, which is a very, like most blue belt curricula, if they exist, a lot of places they don't, if they exist, they have maybe 50 to 150 techniques. And you can be a very good blue belt only knowing that many techniques, but you're probably going to have a lot of holes. And, you know, I was always trying to think BJ Penn, when he trained with Hegan Machado, after getting his black belt, he's like, there are 
blue belt black belts and they're black belt black belts. And he was like, I'm a blue belt black belt. Egan's a black belt black belt. And I, I started to apply the same thinking to the blue belt. Is there a white belt blue belt and a black belt blue belt? Right. So who, what's the blue belt that has no holes in the basic positions? And so the problem is how do you, so this curriculum has like 350 ish techniques. The problem is how do you teach that? How do you retain it? And so Eddie Bravo has done a lot of cool, innovative stuff. But one of the things I like is the structure of his warmups because he has many affiliates, right? So how do you get so many people that you can't touch directly? So he uses basically sequences, flows, right? The only thing is those tend to be pretty advanced moves, right? The 10th planet style is very competition focused, aggressive. And so where's that for beginners? And so using the same structure, like he has, I think, eight sets of four, four sequences. This has 16 sets of six sequences. So 96 flows altogether. It's, uh, it's designed to take someone from, you know, if you knew everything in here, like you'd be very close to Purple Belt, I think, because the, the idea is to have no, no holes in your game you know, as at the basic level, of course, you're not going to learn worm guard and, and all the advanced things at that level. But the long term vision is to have eventually a purple belt and a brown belt and a black belt that uses the same format so that, you know, we can teach so much because even if we're teaching a mount escape, you know, so someone knows how to escape when someone's grinding their throat. But if they don't know how to escape when they're being choked with a gi or bully choked or uh, have a cross face, like if you don't know the variations. And so this format allows for variations. And, um, and yeah, it's, it was a lot of work. Uh, it's like, I've been wanting to do this since I started a school 15 years ago. So this is 15 years, plus, you know, my 25 years total of jujitsu, trying to think of like, how do you make all this knowledge digestible, um, and then make it specific teach belt? Oh, you're, you're muted. You mentioned sixteen sets of six. That's right. Moves. So, do you did you find that the six is a like a, a good number as far as not too much, not too little? What yeah. Well, there there are many ways. So this is also designed because you know I've I've had like black belts share that they like they love their school, they love their affiliation that they're part of, but they don't necessarily offer a lot of curriculum help, and they don't want to leave. Uh, their affiliation to to get a curriculum so they're kind of stuck but this is a curriculum that you don't need to be affiliated with anyone I mean I have some affiliates but um, you don't need to uh, leave you know and so this allows you to have a plug and play curriculum and even for say karate schools or jiu-jitsu schools Japanese jiu-jitsu schools it allows you to have this plug and play curriculum and the idea is that there's many ways to teach it so we have uh, Hayabusa Academy in Kingston, Ontario, before the shutdown, they were using this as their curriculum. Um, and they were doing one of the 16 lessons per week. Um, other places, like we were doing two per week. Um, so like you do lesson one and two this week, and you wouldn't go as deep with all of them, but because it's on video, the students can watch it in advance, go practice it on the mats, and it also makes, it makes so many things easier, it makes testing easier, it makes, um, and of course they still have to roll, they have to be quality, you know, uh, at actually competing or, or sparring, mm -hmm. but um, it, it's very flexible that way. So um, you, can, you can really structure the, the actual teaching any way you want. Awesome. So for people who want to reach out and learn more about what you do, so yeah, let us know, social media, website, whatever website you want to. Yeah, right on. Uh, so for the book and for the video course and, and kind of corporate sales training, it's salesjujitsubook.com. Uh, for Global Unity, if you want to learn more about that, it's globalunity.org and uh, bjj101.tv for any of my jujitsu video stuff. Right on. Alia, thank you so much, man, for revisiting. I think you're, I think maybe you're what the, th uh, either the second or the third person to come here twice. I'm not sure, maybe second or third. Robert Dreiser came twice. And I can't remember right now if maybe you're second or third, but I'm glad you're here. 
Appreciate it, brother. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, let us know. You can go on my Instagram too, Gustavo Dantas BJJ. Usually I'm active there. You can send me a message there. And I see you all soon. Later. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.